This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. And welcome, welcome here live this morning, this Sunday morning or afternoon, depending on where you are, here on Pet Life Radio's Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff. Uh, we're here for you, we're here for your pets, we're here to just talk about anything you want to talk about, though I always come prepared, you know, reading stories going on, perusing the news in the veterinary world so you can get a feel for kind of what's happening, what, what, what I do every day. So I uh, just want to thank you all for being here. We are looking forward to your questions, comments, whatever the case may be. A couple of ways to get a hold of me. First of all, for Pet Life Radio. You can do the old-fashioned way, which is the telephone, 877-385-8882. Once again, 877-385-8882. Better yet, you can join me here live with your pets or your kids, whatever, on Pet Life Radio by going on to PetLifeRadio.com, scrolling down to Shows, Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff. Click on that. Then there's a Zoom link left for you there. Click on the Zoom link, and you will be live with me on Pet Life Radio. For those of you on Instagram Live, good morning or afternoon. Thanks for joining me. Again, um, some of you might try to get in um, and, and request a visit to join the show. Can't do that only because you then are in control and it takes up half the screen and then people I can't see, the people who have questions and things like that. But anyone who wants to get a hold of me, I can see who you are and I will contact you after the show and we can uh, talk. In the meanwhile, we are going to start with some things. So ask you anything that comes up and you want to talk to me about then please send me a note and we'll be happy to uh, chat. Meantime, a couple of stories. First of all, I saw the story. I thought it was really cool, pretty high tech. We're not quite ready for it, but it's in the horizon. Frozen zoos, frozen zoos. What does that mean? So basically faced with acceleration of climate change and the prospect of widespread extermination of certain species, these scientists are building frozen zoos. What they're doing is they're taking genetic material freezing it, storing it and freezing it that could be used to create embryos in the future of endangered species that lack genetic diversity, that possibly you know, couldn't make it, and to produce healthy populations without the need for human assistance. So they obviously they can harvest the, the data, they can harvest the tissue, get the DNA, turning it quite yet right now into frozen embryos hasn't happened yet. But the science is there, it's going to happen. So just think, whatever it is years from now, they can take tissue DNA from an endangered species and can actually create that species again and breeding living species, which can then repopulate. And uh, that is really cool. So interesting. That's like, you know, it's kind of like, you know, creating that, that first sheep, you know, when you're cloning. I'm curious to know what you think about cloning. But, you know, to do it, you know, as I tell people, like, who was it? Barbara Streisand wanted to clone one of her dogs. Now, to clone a dog, Yes, genetically to look the same, yeah, that you can do. But what shapes our personality, it's coming from not only it's nurture and nature. So you can have, unless you can mimic every single instant moment of that young puppy's life, right? You cannot guarantee it's going to turn out the same. And I mean, a, a lot of things will be similar, but not necessarily. So every word you said, every position, every time you put them, every place you took them, I mean, it's got to be in order to shape it the exact same way to expect the same. It's impossible. So instead, don't waste your money. Go to the shelter, get a dog, get a cat, just do, do something, save a life. Don't, don't spend fortunes to create, you know, to try to duplicate what you had. It's not going to work. Anyway, next up, this is also speaking of zoos, how these stories come together. They had done a study on big cats 
in zoos. Now, mind you, the zoos in question, when they did the study, were, and I'm going to wave to everybody, were mid-20th century zoos. And as we know, they were very different back then. And what they found, these cats, remember, you know, what's like anyone who's been to like the Bronx Zoo, any zoo, you know, when we were kids, we would go. So the enclosures were very small. And they noticed a lot of bone problems in these big cats, the lions, the tigers, et cetera, because what they need to do to keep those bones strong is roam. And the, the, it compared, the bone density compared to the cats in the wild was dramatically decreased when they were coming from the zoos. Now, what we're finding out is obviously with the, the zoos that we have now, like San Diego Zoo, it's more like there are real life enclosures, okay? They have plenty of room. They're huge. And these animals can roam and run around. And I mean, Disney's Wild Animal Park, it's amazing. So we're not seeing quite the same thing, but what we've learned from it is the need that if we're going to keep these animals in these types of enclosures, there has to be room for them. And, and that's very important. So um, I just thought that was a really cool story. And um, again, so there's science to it too. So that's important. Next up, uh, this, is, this is another cute story. I'm sure you've heard come Easter time of the Cadbury bunny competition. So, uh, so I see Veronica's there. We'll be with you in a minute, Veronica. So the Cadbury bunny competition. Well, guess what? This year, a bunny didn't win. How is that possible? You know who won? This is who won. Annie Rose is a nursing home therapy dog that they put on the bunny ears and entered her in the competition. And guess what? She won. She won. So this year's Cadbury Bunny, an award given by Hershey's, Hershey's who owns Cadbury, is going to a dog, a dog named Annie Rose. And not only just Annie Rose gets $5,000 or owner, but I'm sure it's going to be used to help the patients in this nursing home. But that, that's, uh, that's pretty cool. So before we go on, Veronica, do you have any question for me? Yes. Hi. Hi. Okay. Um, so anyway, this is Otis and- I, I'm going to cut in. I'm, I'm sharing your story with my Instagram. Okay. I took him on as a rescue and he is a Chihuahua mix. I did his DNA a and Chihuahua he's mix. eight years old and he's 15 pounds. He's on Apoquil and I supplement with CBD and- so I was wondering, so obviously his allergies and, um, you know, his paws are really good, but they were really bad. Okay. So anyway, if I was to inject the Cytopoint, what would be possible side effects? Okay. So uh, it's a great question for many of you, because, you know, I'm a big fan of both Apoquil and Cytopoint. I actually was their, truth be told, their national spokesperson when they first came out. So I'm very familiar with the products. And the question is, right now, Otis is on Apoquil and CBD. And Veronica wants to know what the difference would be if she switched over to Cytopoint injection. Would there be side effects? So first of all, you, usually you do not need both. However, there are some cases that are so bad because they work a little bit differently to get into a simple science lesson, but that's why I'm here. So Apoquil and Cytopoint, both very effective. They work a little bit differently. And obviously Apoquil is something you have to do every day. You start off twice a day for the first 7, 10, 14 days, and then you go to once a day in the evening. We, uh, we've learned that that does work better when we go in the evening. And where Cytopoint is an injection that we were told start when, we were, when it first came out, four weeks. Now I've seen many cases go for six and even eight weeks. So, but they are different. So Apoquil, the way it works, so they both attack the equivalent, the mediator that stimulates the allergic response in dogs is not histamine. In people, it's histamine. So what do we take? We take antihistamine. In dogs, it's different. It is a cellular mediator that is released from what we call T helper cells, and it's called interleukin-31. For short, we call it IL-31. 
that's the culprit. That's the bad guy. That's the one. We got to stop the AL-31. How is it done? Well, with Apoquil, when IL-31 is released from T-Hepper cells, it goes to to the skin cells and starts wreaking its havoc. How does it wreak its havoc? It needs the help of these two enzymes. They're Janus kinase 1, Janus kinase 3, JAK1, JAK3 is what they call it. For short, obviously, IL, IL, instead of interleukin, Janus kinase, it becomes JAK. So, and Apoquil blocks JAK1 and JAK3. It doesn't touch interleukin 31, but the enzymes needed to let and to help interleukin 31 do its damage, that's what it stops, JAK1, JAK3. So, very effective. Now, JAK1, JAK3 plays more roles than just interleukin 31. So, the cytopoint, however, is an immunomodulator. It's immunotherapy. In fact, it was first called CADI, C-A-D-I, canine atopic dermatitis immunotherapy. And what that does is that attacks interleukin-31 directly as soon as it's released from the T-helper cell. So it's more of like a, almost like a vaccine. It just kills it, antibody, antibody, antigen. It just kills it right away. So it's easy. It lasts longer. Cost-wise, it's about the same. It's very safe. But here's the difference. The difference is when it comes to canine allergy, interleukin-31 is the main, but not the only. So since a cytopoint only attacks interleukin-31, if there are some other mediators involved in the dog's allergic response, it may not help. Apoquil, however, by attacking both JAK1 and JAK3, which are used for more than just interleukin-31, it may also help some of the other allergens. So what I tell people, my favorite, of course, is Cytopoint because it's so darn easy and it works 90 plus percent of the time. It's so effective. But sometimes if you if it doesn't work by itself, then do both. Interleukin-31 will be attacked by the Cytopoint and also help by inhibiting JAK1 and JAK3. But by JAK1 and JAK3 being inhibited, it also blocks some of the others. So as far as Otis is concerned, Veronica, I would try it. See if you get a better response. It's so much easier because it's one shot that might be good for eight weeks. And the poor guy doesn't have to get pills every day. All right. So give it a shot. And then you can report back to us and let us know. All right. Thanks for joining me here on Pet Life Radio. So um, as you see on Instagram, look how easy that is. If you have questions, answer the questions and I'll answer them as best I can. So one last story before the break, do it yourself meds. Now we see this all the time and you know, it's really because the monster has been created because of all these online pharmacies. So people are hearing about things or people have a friend who's a pharmacist. They go to the vet, the vet tells them what needs to be done. And then they go out and they get it themselves and they don't go through the veterinarian. So for one thing, the discussion I just had with you about the pros and cons and what, what they're not getting that. So they're going to go say, we need this or that, the other. They don't really understand the differences, the nuances, or how to use it, or the fact that with Apple, we've learned that it should be given in the evening and not in the morning. They don't know that. So what happens is they're doing, do it, going in, getting the meds themselves, and there may be some risks. And they've learned this. This came out of an equine journal where, you know, again, equine drugs, they can go to a feed store, they get a lot of these things. And um, the problem is that when they're getting from sources other than the veterinarian, then the data, the information doesn't go along with it. And um, we're going to talk to that splenomegaly when we come back, don't go away. So the warning is, you know, at least get an education, maybe get a first dose from your veterinarian. If you can, you know, get the medicines elsewhere for less expensively after you already know what you're doing and how you're doing it, what to look for by working with your veterinarian, that then that's a little bit better. But don't just start get, finding out, oh, I need Apple Quill, and then go calling your buddy down the street and saying, oh, can you get me Apple Quill? And uh, that's not the way to do it. So anyway... Don't go away. Right back. When we come back, we're going to talk about splenomegaly and kidney problems. Don't go away. We'll be back after these short words. Take a bite out of your competition. 
advertise your business with an ad in Pet Life Radio podcasts and radio shows. There is no other pet-related media that is as large and reaches more pet parents and pet lovers than Pet Life Radio. With over 7 million monthly listeners, Pet Life Radio podcasts are available on all major podcast platforms. And our live radio stream goes out to over 250 million subscribers on iHeartRadio, Odyssey, TuneIn, Stitcher, and other streaming apps. For more information on how you can advertise on the number one pet podcast and radio network, visit PetLifeRadio.com slash advertise today. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. And we're back live here on Pet Life Radio and Instagram Live. We had a chance to talk. One quick question was about CBD for dogs. Do I like it? And the answer is yes, I do. We don't know a lot about dosing yet. It's very safe as long as now many states are allowing CBD from industrial hemp. As long as that's coming from the marijuana plant, there's no THC or 0.000 whatever THC. Uh, so that is uh, okay. And I highly recommend it, especially if nothing else is working. But there's no downside. That's how I look at it. There's no downside. There might be a really great upside. So it's definitely worth it. Uh, we also talked briefly during the break. Uh, one question came in about kidney disease and kidney failure. So, you know, the kidneys are the, one of the body's filters. And a lot of the stuff gets through. Protein breakdown goes through the kidneys. And um, they are essential for normal maintenance and balance of the body. So the liver is a filter for a lot of toxins, but as do the kidneys. That's why, interestingly, a lot of the toxins that affect dogs both affect the liver and the kidneys. But one a, a big kidney toxin, for example, is raisins and grapes. That seems to get the kidneys pretty well. And leptospirosis, that disease was getting sort of pretty popular for a while. It's kind of slowed down a little bit in the LA area, but that is definitely causes kidney failure. Lilies for cats causes kidney failure. And you can treat the kidney disease to a degree, but once CKD, chronic kidney disease, kicks in, it's very, very hard. You just can control it. You can't stop it. And despite all of your hard work, it oftentimes will still progress. So that is the issue that we have. And it's really, really a challenge. And I've been seeing, because I did see a number of, of lepto cases here in LA, and um, a couple of them, even though the dogs now are great, everything seemingly underlying, seemingly back to normal, they're eating, they're happy, they're playing, but their kidney values are still creeping up despite no more active infection. That It really did have an effect on the kidneys. And um, it's a problem. High levels of calcium in the blood work can also mean, interestingly, when we see high calcium, we think of some sort of parathyroid issue, or interestingly, dogs that have lymphoma will get high calcium. So what I would be looking for and have your vet looking for is there may be some signs of lymphoma that could be lymphoma of the kidneys, which can explain why this is happening. So anyway, I would check that out as well, uh, just to make sure but also there's parathyroid disease that can affect high levels of calcium. So again, something to look into, um, your, your doctor could check out. Now, uh, the other question was about splenomegaly in a boxer. So the spleen is an organ that really doesn't have much of a function except for storage and also for the immune system. It, it stores red cells. And we see disease of the spleen and splenomegaly is just an enlarged spleen. That can be due to age. Any type of, for example, when there's a, a torsion or a bloat, and blood flow out of the spleen is, uh, is compromised, then the spleen can get really big. But what concerns me 
is that there are a number of diseases, conditions that affect the spleen. One, splenic hemangiosarcoma, that is a cancer of the spleen, very serious, because when it ruptures or it spreads, ultimately it's going to cause that pest demise. Number two is splenic hemangioma, which is similar. It's a benign tumor of the spleen. And the reason why that's so important is that if you get it before the hematoma or hemangioma ruptures, then you can actually save the dog's life. And another one is splenic hematoma, which is a huge blood blister of the spleen, where the blister sort of, there's a bleed within the spleen, but the spleen has a capsule. The capsule expands and blows up, getting filled up with blood. And it's benign, except of course, if it ruptures. And then you have a dog that bleeds out. And then I had one recently, actually a neighbor's dog, a giant schnauzer, 11 years old, almost 12. I had to talk them into letting me do the surgery because the spleen was huge. She was acting really lethargic and they didn't really want to put her through a surgery like that at her age. And I understand, but also I don't let age, age is not a disease to me. To me, it's what's the pet's condition. So I take blood work and the blood was fine. And I said, she can handle the anesthesia. We at least got to go in. We owe it to her. You're going to kick yourselves in the butt if you don't go in and at least see, is it a mangiosarcoma? Even if it is, we'll buy her more time because once that ruptures, she's a goner. So we went ahead and I, I did a surgery. Spleen was huge, took out the spleen. She did beautifully during surgery, recovered beautifully. And guess what? It came back as a hemangiolipoma, a splenic hemangiolipoma. So it's sort of like a fatty tumor of the spleen with blood. And again, it was, it was huge. And if it ruptured, she would have died. She would have bled out. And if it would happen in the middle of the night with everybody sleeping, 100%. So here she is. She's still down the block barking at me and my other dogs. And she's made it to 12 already. And the way she looks now, hopefully she's going to go longer. So I'm a big advocate of when you see a large spleen, you should do an ultrasound. If there's normal echogenicity, meaning it's uniform, it's just a big spleen, I would continue to monitor it. If, however, there are some pockets or areas of density that might indicate a splenic tumor, and given the fact that it's a boxer, and we know for sure that boxers, one of the biggest cancer dogs on the planet, they were number one, now they're number two to the golden retriever. So, of course, I would recommend carefully monitoring it, and if it changes in any way, if she's in good shape or he's in good shape, otherwise, I would do an exploratory, take out that spleen. They can live without a spleen. So uh, if he's a three to four-year-old boxer, and if it's just a big spleen, but it's uniform, which I'll bet you it is, then I would just watch it. It's probably just a, some dogs have big spleens, and uh, that's all there is to it. So I'm not recommending jumping in and, and doing surgery on a three-year-old dog, because usually, again, I always say this, it's not like the dog read the book and knows that at three or four years of age, they don't usually have tumors. But can it happen? Yes, it can. Would it be highest on my list? No, but you always got to be prepared. So in a case like this, with this dog, three to four-year-old, I would go ahead and just monitor um, ultrasounds on a regular basis. Of course, everything else, monitoring her abdomen. And if everything is good, she's good. All right. Great question, though. And um, keep me posted on that. Let me know, uh, let me know what, what, uh, what ends up happening. And if they do an ultrasound, we'd love to know what it shows. Oh, this is also good for the cat people out there. And for a guy like me, who was fortunate to outgrow my cat allergies, but I was allergic to dogs, cats, horses, sheep, goats, cows, and hay. So anyone who ever needed a tissue in vet school, they knew, just find Werber and we'll get you tissue. Because I, in my coveralls, <laughs> I was loaded every single pocket at him. So I was a wreck. And I was getting allergy shots. Anyway, now I've outgrown 
all my allergies. I have none that I know of. And of course, I have my five cats and I'm fine with them. I have my five dogs. Well, I've always been fine with dogs. So anyway, scientists are using a new technology called CRISPY, C-R-S-P-I. I don't know what that is, so don't ask yet, but I'll look into it. Basically, to delete two genes, the CH1 and the CH2 genes, which are on the FEL-D1 protein. The FEL-D1 protein is really that protein that those of us that are or have been cat allergic that is the allergen. It's the FELD protein. Anything that can reduce FELD1, or if cats just genetically don't have high FELD1, then they can do well or better in a household where people might be allergic to cats. So don't get excited too fast because they know what they need to do. But in order to take cat colonies and remove those proteins through this technology, then have them breed and breed and breed and breed, we're several years away from having truly, truly some hypoallergenic cats. Now, mind you, there was a hoax going on years ago, if you remember, where this outfit was selling hypoallergenic cats. And guess what? They took your money, but they were not so hypoallergenic. So it, it turned out to be a scam. It was a bunch of, you know what? I could say just BS. And so uh, anyway, no, it's not that stuff. But anyway, here is something that I obviously maybe actually have hypoallergenic cats, which I think is great. So, and speaking of cats, just like the zoos, the two stories back to back. Here's one. It's just a, a warning. It's litter box issues in cats. And so there have been studies and what they've done. Here are the key takeaway. I'm not going to go through the whole study, but the takeaways are that, you know, cats and litter boxes. First of all, cats want a box that is clean, that is easily accessible, that is in a quiet spot. Okay. And some like to be covered lids and some don't. I'll explain that one in a minute. But you have a cat that is doing well and finally stops doing well and having some litter box accidents, then you're going to have to think of sort of either a stress or kind of a health issue. So that's, that is indication enough to see your vet. And also there should be plenty. Now I'm going to give you the rule of thumb. I don't follow the rule of thumb and I'm lucky, but because I have three boxes and five cats, I should have with five cats, I should have any guesses, six it's always N plus one, the number of cats in the household plus one. And if you have a two-story home or more, if you have a basement you and where have cats have access, that you have to have at least one box in every area. Now, let's talk about the inaccessible, okay, or the hiding place or having a litter box down in a basement that often isn't used because you don't want the smell or covered litter boxes. And you want to know how come my cat's not using the litter box? Well, first of all, when you think of a vulnerable time for a cat, remember cats are hunters, but they're also been hunted. So they're hunties and hunters. And one of the most vulnerable times for a cat is when they're eliminating. So to expect some cats to walk into a dark closet with the door closed and it's only open enough for the cat to get in, but not the dogs, which is why some people do that. Uh-uh, it ain't happening. Or getting one of those covered boxes. It's got the little charcoal filter on top. It's good for you. But the cat says, I'm not going in there. Are you kidding? What if the wolf comes? What if that lion comes? I'm not going in there. So a lot of cats want to be totally aware of their environment. And in fact, if you're looking in, uh, watch a cat doing their business in the box, they're looking around. They're not, they're not just you know looking straight. They're not reading a magazine, right? They're not playing Sudoku. They are actually watching. And that's the whole idea. So if everything is perfect, it's quiet, it's clean, you're doing all the right things, and the cat's still really not going in, 
take the lid off and see if that makes a difference. So anyway, have any questions about that? Always get a hold of me. Pet Life Radio audience, it is that time. I will be here next bad time, next bad channel. For those of you on Instagram, if you want to hang around for a little bit, uh, we can talk. You can uh, send me anything. And um, other than that, we're, I guess we're good. Mark, we're here next week. All right, we're here next week. So 9 a.m. in the West, noon in the East, 10 in the in Mountain, 11 in Central, you name it. That's where we're going to be. And if you have any questions, anything you want to talk to me about, always get a hold of me, please, at uh, Dr. Jeff at PetLifeRadio.com. Once again, Dr. Jeff at PetLifeRadio.com. You can ask me anything. We'll talk about it on the show. Love talking about it on the show. We like to make sure that we are answering your questions, things that you need to know, things that you want to know, problems that you're having with your pets. And maybe I can make some sense out of it and maybe give you a little guidance. That's why I'm here. So see you next week. Veronica, thanks for joining us here on Pet Life Radio anytime. And uh, give Otis a big kiss for me. And uh, all right, thanks. Be well. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.